For January 9th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 445. The NCIS LA of my mind. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, and we are never happier than when we are hanging out together and uh, shooting the breeze, talking about the things we watch, the things we read, the things we play, uh, the things we love. And we are here tonight to do just that. I'm Matthew Rather, and here uh, in my squad, I have Overthinkers Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. And Mark Lee. Did you say talk about things we love? Absolutely. Okay, (laughs) sure. Absolutely. Uh, For certain definitions of love, you see, uh, if you pay attention to pop culture at all, if you're savvy, if you're au courant with, uh, you know, what's happening out there in uh, in the popular culture. And I know it was the holidays. You know, we all might have taken a little while off from paying attention to entertainment or you might have been distracted by politics and forgot uh, what's really important in this life. You know that today is a momentous occasion. Today is an important event uh, in American and, uh, dare I say, global um, entertainment. Uh, you know, and, and that is that tonight, NCIS Los Angeles returned from hiatus with an original episode with... Uh, uh, with LL Cool J. Um, yes. Three weeks, Matt. Yes. We went three weeks without a new episode of NCIS Los Angeles. With LL Cool J and Chris O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, absolutely. With a, with a distinctly middle-aged look in Chris O'Donnell, uh, <laughs> who still can... So, so uh, tonight, um, we're going to talk about NCIS Los Angeles. What, you, you've not seen the episode? It doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter if you haven't seen NCIS Los Angeles. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Uh, bear with us. There, there's a reason, and we'll get into that in just a second. But first, we start, as we do every week, with a question of the week. Panel, um, real or fictitious, what is your favorite government agency with an acronym? Excuse me, did I just cough as I said that? With an acronym. What is the acronym and what is the agency? Uh, if it's fictional, where does it come from? And uh, tell us a little bit about why you love it so much. First in the alphabet, drink. If you're playing the Overthinking It drinking game, it's PF. And that stands for Peter Fenzel. And my middle initial is also F, which means my initials, if they were on the back of an LL Bean backpack, would be <laughs> and And that guides my decision as to my favorite government acronym because I love acronyms that force you to participate in them in order to say them, such as, right? Like there's no way that if you just, if you just half-heartedly go after that, it doesn't exist, right? To truly pronounce PFF as an acronym, you have to participate in what it means, right? And what it means to say it and put it in your mouth and that came out wrong but what what i'm saying is is that there's one particular government agency a real one mind you that has an acronym that i feel similarly involves the speaker because you have to be part and parcel with it in order to say it and i'm of course talking about the federal aviation administration Mm. right 
the FAA, because because what is FAA, right? It's it's fa, right? It's do re mi fa, do 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 re mi fa, do re mi fa, do re mi, which is if do do. You guys have better pitch than I do. Can you can you give me a fa? Can you give me a good fa? Do re mi fa fa. I love the two A's because it tells me that you're really saying fa, right? And and I also love the idea of ascending a scale like as a plane takes off from a runway. Oh, and I just love oh the yeah. Idea. It's a, ladies and gentlemen, we have achieved dough. Uh, we are heading for fa. If we hit any turbulence, we might go all the way up to la. Oh, but man, if we made it fossil, if we went to T, then we would really have to push on to Doe or it would be terribly yeah, that, unsatisfying. Exactly. That would bring us back to Doe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And we've landed. All right. I feel like this is the, the CTU honorary question. And, and so I feel like you, uh, you um, really d- demonstrated admirable restraint in not choosing, uh, not choosing CTU as your agency. That's not an acronym. That's an abbreviation. Nobody calls it KUTU. <laughs> that, an well, acronym is an abbreviation that you phonetically say as if it were a word. Well, right? fair enough. Okay, fair enough. I meant acronym or or uh, abbreviation, but you're you're absolutely okay. right. Um, I, you're absolutely right. All right, I'm going to stay off. I'm going to stay off uh, off mic and let um, let my uh, my esteemed colleague uh, MSL uh, take this. That's not mean sea level. That's Mark Lee. I was thinking more Ministry of Standard Levitation. Let's go with that. Um, because uh, with my mystic powers, I float. Uh, and another agency that also apparently deals with strange um, force fields like that is the United States Department of Energy, or DOE, as uh, you, you say if you're in the lingo. Uh, I'm really... <laughs> Doe? You went, you went back to Doe. It brought us back to Doe. <laughs> okay, DOE is pretty great for a variety of reasons. First of all, because, you know, the energy part of it, uh, you know, at least in the past eight years, has been all about renewable energy, solar, solar, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but probably not so much in the coming four years. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but the DOE is also responsible for fun stuff like nuclear weapons. Hey, you didn't realize that was happening. But uh, in honor of a Golden Globe nominated and surely to be winning uh, television show Stranger Things, right? DOE. Uh, spoiler, is, is, it, did, it didn't win. It didn't win. It did not win? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. All right. The, uh, the uh, Golden Globe nominated show Stranger Things. Uh, DOE is vague and nefarious enough so that it can be the government agency that has a trans-dimensional Demogorgon monster housed in its basement. Uh, and unleashes upon the world. So uh, DOE, doing uh, flexible enough to cover a lot of bases in fiction and reality. Mm. Excellent. Uh, And by the way, since uh, Homer Simpson worked in a nuclear power plant, uh, his annoyed grunt was actually probably an attempt to call out to some sort of supervisory or regulatory authority. Every time he said, don't, he was was, uh, probably asking for that, you Mm. know. I think civilian nuclear reactors are probably on the purview of the NRC Nuclear Regulatory Committee, uh, whereas the DOE has purview, let's see here, over uh, uh, nuclear reactor production for the United States Navy and then also the nuclear weapons program. So, sorry, Matt, uh, not so much DOE involved for Homer oh, Simpson. Well, there, there you go. Well, actually. Well, uh, thank you, comic book guy. All right. Uh, mine is, uh, I'm not taking S.H.I.E.L.D. I, I feel like uh, if, if this, is, this was either the... Um, 
this was either the uh, uh, the CTU memorial question or the Shield memorial question. Um, but I am going to I am going to take a spy agency, and I am going all the way back to the uh, to the sixties to the television show Get Smart, where there was a uh, there was a a uh, spy agency called control and it was always in all caps right it was uh you know done um as an acronym and so i looked up on wikipedia what control stood for and by the way the the uh evil nefarious counterpart to control was called chaos spelled k-a-o-s so uh i i went back and i i assumed it would be like shield uh that it would be some you know, ridiculously involved strategic homeland, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, control is not an acronym, says uh, the Oracle at Wikipedia, but it is always shown in all capital letters as if it were. And I feel like this is especially appropriate for a spy agency, uh, show, making you believe something, um, making you think something that is not uh, actually, actually true. Um, the... Uh, uh, the uh, counterpart, Chaos, was also never given, uh, I, I guess, never retconned into, a, um, uh, into an actual uh, acronym, into an initialism that, that you say. Uh, but um, it, it was referred to in the show as Chaos, a Delaware corporation, uh, which is very funny if you know about corporate governance and you know, everything's incorporated in, in Delaware and they probably have a P.O. box there in a... Uh, in a building with a, a bunch of other P.O. boxes for, you know, organizations that don't actually exist. Um, I enjoy Get Smart. It's one that I can keep. Uh, it's one that I can go back to and and look at quite uh, quite a lot. But it does not hold a candle to the action, the romance, <laughs> the thrilling adventure, the sense of wrong made right that is NCIS Los Angeles and uh, NCIS, uh, not an abbreviation, not not an acronym, an initialism, I suppose, uh, is is what it's called. Um, a spinoff of the Jagiverse, you know. Um, and after Jag jagged off, uh, NCIS started spinning off its own. Um, uh, NCIS started spinning off its own in terms of uh, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS N- New Orleans is one, right? Um, are there more? Um, and we uh, we we watched it. Now, now, Pete, this was your idea, so yes. there there must have been a reason that well, I just spent an hour of my the whole life. OA. That's for sure. So that's part of it. <laughs> So I'll give you I'll give you a little backstory because there's backstory here and there's method to my madness. And yes, we're going to overthink and not I'm not talking about all of NCIS Los Angeles. No, I'm talking about <laughs> what it, we're all coming into this cold. Right, guys. None of us have watched more than like a bit here or there of NCIS Los Angeles up until this point. Right. To say nothing of uh, NCIS in general. Well, that's but, a yeah. lot. Of this, let's, NCIS Los Angeles, put it out of your minds. NCIS Los Angeles is not NCIS. NCIS Los Angeles is the one with LL Cool J and Chris O'Donnell, right? That's that is what it is, right? But we are going to be talking only, as far as we know, maybe with a little bit of spillage for for background, if we can figure it out, about episode one hundred and eighty of NCIS Los Angeles, season eight, episode twelve called Kulinda, which if you watch the episode, you know is Swahili for protection. 
I believe is the case, right, is what they say. At least I don't trust necessarily trust NCIS Los Angeles's Swahili, Swahili translation, but there you are. Here's the background, right? So I was talking with some friends. The Golden Globes are happening tonight. And, and some friends were having an argument uh, about whether the OA or Stranger Things was a better television show. And for me, you know, I, I you it's no secret that I didn't have a fun time watching the OA. I know that some people like it and, and I don't want to bash them. They have different tastes than I do. But one thing that I think is is while I liked Stranger Things more than I liked the OA, I would not say that Stranger Things was like a really great TV drama. Right. It's nominated for the Golden Globe. Spoiler alert. It doesn't win for best TV drama series. Right. This year. And it sort of strikes me like, look, you can argue that you enjoyed the Stranger Things more. You found it more interesting. It was more fun. It was better. But I don't think you hold it up as like real prestige television. And this seems to me like the year that easily identifiable prestige television is really over. There's no Mad Men. There's no Sopranos. Better Call Saul didn't even get nominated for best drama by the Golden Globes. We'll see what happens when the Emmys come around. But but you're looking at the Emmy at the Golden Globe nominations. You've got Stranger Things, you've got Westworld and you've got Game of Thrones, all three of them nominated for best drama, all three of which are like sci fi fantasy action shows, especially in their current seasons and not particularly dramatic, I would say. Right. Like much more mystery for the case of Westworld and, and Stranger Things. Uh, I, you know, the the drama, the aspect to which the characters were experiencing kind of dramatic situations and moments uh, is debatable for Westworld, but I would have that debate if this were not the NCIS Los Angeles episode. But, but the point being that, you know, we are expecting to look to the big budget uh, shows that are happening on the premium cable channels and on the online only channels as the place to look for where the best drama is happening. But it seems from the crop this year uh, that that might not be the case anymore, which means we really owe it to ourselves to go back to network television drama and really see whether the the assumptions that we've been making up until this point for the past like 10 years still hold. And in this conversation, I, I called upon my friends and said, look, it's time to go take a look at NCIS Los Angeles specifically and to see how it stacks up against dramas like the OA, Stranger Things, uh, Game of Thrones season six, a.k.a. nobody does anything for the same reason for two episodes in a row. And uh, not to bash it too much, but uh, or or Westworld, in which is, you know, Every, I mean, I don't want to. I can't spoil anything there, but in which the plot tells the characters what they're doing at various points uh, in ways that are complicated. Pete, at any rate, Pete, analysis. <laughs> analysis. What, what, pro- what prompted that last response? <laughs> <laughs> the here's the problem with calling Westworld a drama is that the show only really works. If it holds the audience in a degree of uncertainty about what is happening on a fundamental level in over the course of, let's say, like the middle seven episodes of the season. Right. Right. And, and there's not, by the way, like it's there is a, a kind of like return of the repressed trauma recovery type of story where. Um, where there is a, a frame story and a narrative within the narrative where something bad happened to someone a long time ago and they, they sort of 
come to a place where they can tell the story of the thing. And so the drama comes from the journey in the present day. Uh, the narrative and the drama are sort of separated, right? The conflict yeah. is internal and it comes from um, the thing in the second day. Like I remember the bad thing that happened when my parents were gunned down and that's when I became Batman or whatever. And then the story, the narrative is the flashback of that, um, of that terrible, terrible thing happening. There are all kinds of episodes of, of television that are like this in this sort of um, uh, uh, uncovering and uh, uncovering a repressed trauma mode. Westworld is not one of them. It, <laughs> it seems like it is, but it's right. not right. And if you, if you were to take Westworld and to kind of cut it into chronological order, a lot of the uh, tension would be lost because uh, things that you didn't know or things that seemed mysterious would no longer be mysterious. And you realize that they were not really mysterious for any character reason, any reason of conflict of interests or uh, any reason of sort of uh, human flaw or anything like that. They were only mysterious because no one had told you the answer yet. And yeah, that's not right. A puzzle. Yeah. It's a puzzle for the, for the viewer. Right. Like figure out what's happening is, is a big part of the entertainment factor of the show. Right. Uh, which which definitely and, and nonlinear narratives, a big part of why people do them is to confound and undermine the conventions of drama. And so actually by by this by this light, by this analytical tool uh, that that we are developing here, this episode of NCIS Los Angeles as drama is superior to any episode of Westworld <laughs> in the entire first season because there is a person uh, who seems like one thing is another thing, struggles with a, a, a deep personal moral question, um, whether he's going to abandon his principles to do something that is uh, perhaps right on on some scale, but not right on not at all right in the larger scale that the show is concerned with, and decides. Spoiler alert: decides not to do it. Right, like uh, you know, um, and and that this moment of decision. Uh, this moment of weighing the the pros and cons and and deciding what to do is more dramatic um, in that it involves more conflict res- re- resolved in a way that uh, that uh, co- you know d- d- with respect to Aristotle is neither inevitable nor particularly surprising. <laughs> um is Not if uh, seen friday yeah exactly right, exactly is uh is still uh at least in the in um, conception, if not execution, better drama than uh, than anything that happens in Westworld. But we're and as, yeah. and as you recall, my number one complaint about the OA was that there was a scene where they were at a hotel breakfast and they talked about eating a waffle, and I felt like the scene didn't really get across that eating a waffle is like a fun and pleasurable activity, or even that waffles can have subtext that could be good or could be bad. And I will say that in terms of attaching emotional significance to breakfast f- foods, uh, this episode of NCIS Los Angeles beats the OA by like a pretty large margin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a, a, a little bit. Uh, Mark, I wonder if we can turn to you to do the yeoman's work of telling us the story of this episode of tell NCIS. Us, Mark, tell us, Mark, what happens in 
it's episode 180 oh. of NCIS. I mean, it, yeah, is it? Uh, you know, it can be done in three or four sentences, but um, but uh, I feel like we need to at least ring the changes on the actual plot, the manifest content of uh, this episode of NCIS LA. All right, I'll give it a shot, uh, and you guys feel free to jump in at any, any moment here. All right, so. Uh, if you're not familiar what even uh, what NCIS is, right? Ostensibly, they're a naval or a U.S. government, a, a federal crime investigation unit. Uh, they are attached to the United States Navy, and they're brought into this particular crime situation uh, for reasons that are extremely flimsy, and I think really don't need to be, be, no, be dug because into. Because the guy who's killed is a naval reservist. Right. But in addition, in this, there's like a brief mention that somehow uh, a, a U.S. senator, a relationship with a U.S. senator is involved. But that's the real reason why they're they're there. Um, so you could easily see how this could not have landed into their court. Anyway, um, there is a Los Angeles city councilman. One of his bodyguards is um, killed uh, in a sort of a drive by type of thing. People think it's a councilman was the target originally, but in terms of the bodyguards, the target. One of the NCIS members goes undercover, and I'm led to believe that that is a thing that happens in this show with some frequency, into the bodyguard unit because the sniffing around and realizes something not exactly as it may seem is going on with the bodyguard unit. One thing leads to another. Uh, Syrian money launderers are mixed up with some gang activity, um, and the killers are found, uh, but also the security company uh, lead guy... Uh, was about to dispense uh, vigilante justice, and he is stopped by the cool hand of LL Cool J, and everybody eats uh, gluten-free plantains uh, and Jamaican food at the end of the day. Uh, did I sum that up pretty much about right, or did I miss some key details in there, Pete? Well, I, the only thing I would say you missed was that a bunch of the other characters are having conversations about their ongoing relationships with one another. Which oh, I yes, feel yes, like very would matter to you if you watched uh, NCS Los Angeles on a regular basis. But which I would say to the credit of the show, do thematically connect with what's happening in the main plot of the episode. Sure. Which is m- mostly about kind of how do you behave appropriately as an adult? How do you set an example? Uh, how, how do you how do you make your place shine is the big sort of of uh, Downton Abbey moment of the episode, right, which is that the councilman says that all the people who are volunteering in the community make Los Angeles shine. And there's a lot of light and dark metaphor with regards to how adults behave in various sorts of situations. Uh, The scene I was talking about with the breakfast, if you've been following it for a while, is that Chris O'Donnell's character of Callan is now getting together with, and I have to look up the name is it Anne? Is it Anne Kolchek? I believe that they're getting to. They've been together for a little bit. Hell, kind of, an, of, on the, hell of an accent for a federal agent. <laughs> they're on the cusp of a, of, a, of an incumbent relationship, and she brings him breakfast in the morning. It's a. It is an effectively chaste relationship in which sexuality is communicated mostly through food metaphor and other sorts of metaphors. Uh, but they do. They do kiss tenderly at a couple of points, and, and he. She brings him breakfast food. In the morning, and there, there's light streaming in from the walls, and they're sort of uh, giddy, youthful, fumbling with each other. 
and and her fumbling over herself in this situation uh, is particularly positioned as sort of the right and proper way to go about dating as somebody who's an adult. Uh, keep in mind, the average NCIS viewer in general is about 58 years old, and all my commercials were for diabetes medicine and large luxury sedans. So this is like a show that is meant to have an older audience, and I don't want to just bash that because it's really important for kind of the topography of what's happening as we watch the show. I mean, guys, what were the commercials that you saw while you were watching NCIS Los Angeles? Uh, $10 cell phone plans for retired people. Yep, yep, yep. I uh, I hop. I might have. Yeah, you uh, it, right? yeah I, <laughs> that that's one way of putting it. <laughs> Hypothetically, it would have been possible to find a copy that had fallen off the back of a uh, of a truck, which I did because you guys were actually recording before this episode airs uh, in Los Angeles. Ironically, NCIS Los Angeles originates on the East Coast. <laughs> and only later broadcasts uh, in Los Angeles. So it's a good 25 minutes. Um, I actually could just run out into the streets and start shouting plot details. Uh, you know, in, you in, would ruin so many old people's day. Right. In well-heeled. I would go to well-heeled neighborhoods where, where the old people are likely to, to live. I also just uh, – by the way, I just looked up the um, – requirements for being a special agent of the Naval Criminal Investigative Service uh, at the website www.ncis.navy.mil. And I discovered that I passed an important threshold in life uh, on December 19th, 2016, when I became ineligible to apply for a position as a special agent of the NCIS because uh, applicants must be no, no older than 36.5 years of age at the time of application to ensure the maximum entry age is not exceeded. So uh, you got to be 37 when you enter the NCIS, um, but, the, uh, but you can uh, apply up to the time that you're... Um, uh, 36.5. So I'm just saying, Mark and Pete, um, the clock's a ticking. And, uh, if- <laughs> I'm already past it. I'm already, I'm actually, I turned 36 and a half in one month and one week. So if I could scribble it off right now, I could do it. But man, <laughs> to run the, 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 the responsibility falls solely on my shoulders. <laughs> so, so to paint the picture it probably for you, doesn't deserve. I'll be right. <laughs> so, so, so to paint the picture for you, you have doughy, middle-aged chris o'donnell right he's and he's i asked my girlfriend is is he handsome and she said he's okay like if you think of him in terms of matt damon he's okay right uh and he is getting with the super skinny too much makeup girl with the european accents right which is kolchek right which it has its own sort of uh cbs normativity going on and then you have uh marty deeks who is the sort of scruffy long-haired uh stubbly slightly techier investigator and he has this uh friendship which seems to have romantic subtext with agent jones who is the sort of youthful uh sprightly but also you could tell really smart and no nonsense uh agent um and that they had a relationship before uh it seems or at least they had a friendship and something has had a falling out and ll cool j counsels uh, scruffy Agent Deeks about how to helpful help help managing, and they have a conversation about Japanese horticulture. There's a lot of conversations in NCIS Los Angeles that, on the surface, have nothing to do with what's happening. It's like it's like sort of like Downton Abbey, but with a sort of uh, a sort of unfortunate sense of urgency about the the main event that's taking place. And then the other big event, and this I think is huge for NCIS Los Angeles fans, is that Kenzie is back. 
Mackenzie is back. She's come back. I don't know where she was or what she was doing, <laughs> but she's back. And it seems like Kenzie, Agent Kenzie, who you can picture, right, as like a she's she's one of those actresses who's like super fit and very focused. And so it's impossible to tell how old she is. And uh, and, and she's she's in the weight room and she's working out. And uh, and she's she's she, it seems like and she's dark hair, dark eyes, kind of a serious face, but kind. Right. You can tell that she takes responsibility well, that she's a natural leader. And, and she's, she's apparently she almost died due to some sort of injury. Uh, apparently, I, my guess is that there was a scene where she was lying in a hospital bed with one of the heart monitors next door. And they were all like, we're going to get him or they're all going to be like, you got to come back. We're going to miss you, Kenzie. Uh, and she's back and she wants to be back on the force, as it were. Uh, but the 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 psychiatrist or the counselor or psychologist tells her that because of PTSD, she might not be ready, which is I think is a bombshell. If Kenzie can't come back to the team, well, the team needs Kenzie and Kenzie needs the team. There you go. Right. I've only seen one episode of this show. And like, there you go. That's that's the arc. That's where we are in the arc. Um, one thing about NCIS Los Angeles as you're watching it, and I, I hope you guys notice this, too. Whenever anybody is explaining something to another character, the shot reverse shot where they take the shot of the person explaining it and the reverse shot is the other character looking with attention, but with calm and nodding. And maybe a little smiling, but being like, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying while you're talking to me. This is like every conversation in the show where some and it's like it's like you take 24 and you slow it way down. Also like way down. Ample underscore underneath practically yeah. every conversation. Right. Just that kind of uh, ambient music that tells you how to feel whether yes. this is serious or a little lighthearted. Every, yeah, is everything it, is, is this totally a telegraph. Is this a flirty scene? Is this and you know this is actually this is a feature of commercial TV that I noticed while I was watching it. The telling and retelling and retelling of the story, right? Every act begins with a kind of recapitulation of the theme, right? Yeah. At, where you get the story so far, and this is a channel surfing thing. It's something that prestige cable dramas that are either watched uh, in one go or binge watched, you know, uh, largely time shifted, so that you don't have to. Um, compete with like channel surfing or uh, other things on television things like this um they they don't have to uh they don't have to do it and so the the pace of the story um the amount that you uh, the amount of actual plot that's covered in the course of 42 minutes of this show is minuscule compared with, you know, prestige cable dramas. And, um, by the way, any tension is resolved by and large. Any, like, minor tension uh, other than the A plot of the show is resolved within the act. I mean, there is, like, the, the Kenzie thing is that once the, the A plot is, is wrapped up, the Kenzie thing is the sort of nod to serialization. Um yeah. But uh, but like uh, it, the detail of was this L.A. City Councilman uh, the target? No, we actually think that the bodyguard, his bodyguard, was the target of the the uh, murder. Was the ta- the target of the assassination? Um, this is done in the second act of the show uh, in one one like uninterrupted scene right they see this and say oh he was maybe the congressman the councilman wasn't the target maybe the the bodyguard was the target whereas in a prestige drama in the wire or something like this this would be hinted at and it would be left unresolved for 40 minutes or so or three episodes right and uh and this would be done so that that there is um 
a, a much tighter window of kind of tension release. There's a, a much smaller cycle of of exposition, right? That you know, if you're used to the Game of Thrones level of information, uh, or you're used to a kind of Westworld time scale of revelation. Um, or a kind of wire level of ambiguity, uh, just to take it way back to the early days of prestige television, uh, this will seem remarkably uh, trite um, to you. I mean, or, or welcome in its, in its watchability, because <laughs> you've had a long day and you don't want to deal with Count Blobbity Blob, Goobity Gook. Right, like which bearded guy just died? I don't care. I'm trying to make dinner. Right, like this is. I I want to say that like I don't I don't necessarily think that a. Well, first of all, I don't think that NCIS Los Angeles, and and this is based on Mark, both what your wife and my girlfriend both told us, which is that NCIS Los Angeles is not as good as regular NCIS. Right. Correct. Regular NCIS is a better show. Regular NCIS is the most popular show in the world. I believe, as distinct from, I think, where I think Top Gear is like the most profitable, but I think NCIS for CBS is the most popular show in the world. Uh, NCIS Los Angeles, as a spinoff, is the one with LH Cool J and Chris O'Donnell, just to restate the uh, the information that we gave earlier. Um, but this, I don't think this was a particularly good episode of NCIS Los Angeles that we just watched. I have a feeling, I have a suspicion that this episode kind of didn't quite come together. I don't know. Um, if you are a dedicated watcher of NCIS Los Angeles. First of all, God bless you. I hope your diabetes isn't bothering you too much. But second of all, uh, and also the new Lincoln Continental looks great. But second of all, let us know if this was a good episode. Hey, speaking, we have no idea. Speaking of cars, uh, <laughs> did you notice that Chris O'Donnell was driving a Mercedes in this? Uh, well, when they well, went to the chop shop to, uh, they, they they were driving, like what? investigative agency what u.s agency at any level uses mercedes i mean it's usually like baked into the to the laws that govern those those things that they buy american cars let's i believe i believe that the mercedes belonged to uh, agent kolchak i believe there was a line that explained because chris o'donnell kolchak famously- sounds foreign yeah <laughs> Because <laughs> Chris O'Donnell and LL Cool J pal around in a big black Dodge Challenger, like SRT, right? Like they have a they have a, a Dodge Challenger that appears in the opening credits and also appears when they get out of it the one time that they're in it in this episode, right? It's like, oh, here's the Dodge Challenger. But then later, when Chris teams up with his new European girlfriend or a coworker who he's on the cusp of a relationship with, they take her car, which is a Mercedes, because people are different when they're from different places, and they do different things, and they talk funny sometimes, and they have different cars. I don't want to be too patronizing, but I, I'm pretty sure that this was an example yeah, but, of like— But you want to be just patronizing enough. <laughs> I mean, this show is so fun. I mean, let's let's also say that NCA, this episode of NCIS Los Angeles is not sinless, right? It is not sinless at all. Uh, because it it tackles some very intense hot button contemporary issues. Uh, yeah, I, I want to talk. I want to talk about yeah. that. But but before but before we do that, let's let's uh, let's just finish a little bit on the format. Let's put the period. Yeah. Uh, the period on that because I think um, before we get into like the most interesting about this the thing about this to me was kind of the milieu of the uh, of the episode and and I I got, I sort of project out. I imagine the NCIS LA of my mind um you know does uh a different neighborhood every week right and you know does takes uh special 
the special character of that neighborhood um, and puts it on display and uses it to some sort of uh, some sort of advantage in the the telling of the the telling of the story. This one was Lamert Park, and I want to talk about it a little bit. But but just kind of finishing up on uh, on the sort of the formula for these proce- these like CBS procedurals uh, with the you know the eccentric nerdy girl. By the way, this eccentric nerdy girl was less eccentric and less nerdy. She was actually more of a more of a person defined less by you know uh, a single quirk of of dress or you know uh i don't know a right. hairstyle or something like that then also allowed to leave the office yeah that <laughs> that's that must be nice um but still had uh you know kind of a jock versus a brain in the uh in uh, in the um the younger men supporting cast. There's, you know, all, all this stuff. Um, I, I, I just want to, there are a couple of ways of, of, uh, telling stories that this indulges in that I want to make sure we don't pass up. Uh, the first is that age old storytelling dictum tell, don't show, uh, that there's there's a point where LL Cool J is going to infiltrate the private security agency, um, in order to uh, find out what shenanigans are going on uh, there that might have led to the murder of one of their uh, one of their security agents, private security agents, uh, and as uh, as he is being given this assignment, he is informed that um, the the his fellow security agents there will be all dangerous, all capable. Now, this is a good way to create stakes. You inform us that there are stakes, right? Right. You don't have to uh, show anything. You don't have <laughs> to like do the tedious work of writing where you set up a scenario where something is demonstrated without necessarily being being uh, hit on the head. Uh, you just say the truth, and that's uh, that's excellent. Um, the other the other one is when they discover that one of the uh, one of the people involved in the security agency had in earlier life uh, had a juvenile record and some gang affiliations at that time. Um, one of the characters says, "Maybe he left gang life behind," and another character replies, "Or he didn't." and indeed those are the two choices he did leave gang life behind or he didn't and it boils the it boils the uncertainty it boils the sort of dramatic conflict down to its simplest possible terms he's either a good guy or he's not and and that is uh uh that is i think totally uh you know uh, totally a feature of of this style of storytelling now i don't i don't mean to be normative like like, really like you can think it's bad you can think it's trite you can think it's good you can think it's straightforward and simple like whether it's good or bad it is definitely a style that we can describe you know that we can sort of uh, talk about the the ins and outs of um what I would add is that for all of the the telling and not showing, they all they would there were a lot of payoffs, right? In that they would tell you that somewhere down the line a character would be either a good guy or a bad guy, and then you would meet the character, and the character would like look at LL Cool J on screen, and you'd be like, "Is that guy a good guy 
or a bad guy, right? Because I was told that he was one of those things. And so, so you, there were both scenes in this uh, show, in this episode, where they would say things that just never appeared on screen, like the admiral goes for play golf with some guy, and that's why the NCIS is investigating this in the first place, even though it's nominally a, a state issue. But, uh, but no, there were times, and I think my favorite of these, and I feel like we have to touch on this, we have to touch on it, is is the YouTube subplot. Which is, there's a YouTube, yes, everybody, there's a YouTube subplot in this episode, and it is all about explaining to people who are the average watching age of the NCIS audience uh, what is happening on YouTube now. There is a YouTube celebrity <laughs> unboxer. Yeah, what, it, what an unboxing video is, right? <laughs> yes, there's a celebrity, uh, like a fashion unboxer, who does YouTube videos where she orders clothing and beauty items by mail, uh, you know, through the internet, and then, you know, opens up the boxes on screen and shows them off and gives them reviews right so this is a familiar sort of celebrity although one that i think most shows even shows for young people would not touch because it's kind of complicated and doesn't involve a lot of direct interaction with other people but ncis los angeles helpfully wants to explain to you as the audience who these people are and i just love i mean mark you tell me because i think you loved it too how are the this this celebrity is is going to make a public appearance and the security firm has been hired to protect her uh, and and who is who are they protecting her from mark because the people who love this youtube celebrity are divided into two groups right oh the uh, the lovers and the, the real genuine fans right the, yes. the, the subscribers out there yeah. but Baked into that is a solid 10,000 or so straight-up haters. Yeah, it's 1.7 million followers and a good 10,000 are solid haters. <laughs> One of them shows up, right, who was a, who uh, basically had a professional disagreement uh, yes. with the unboxer. Uh, the About unboxer, the quality of a pair of yeah, jeans. Yeah, dis, yeah. Dis, dis the apparel that uh, this woman uh, was selling and cost her a lot of money, and she goes after her with a taser. And yes. That's wild, and that's why she needs security. Yeah. The dangerous, the dangerous world. Of uh, of YouTube videos and and online commerce, which is funny because in the first scene of the episode, because this is an episode that rechecks in with all of its beats all the time, right? All of its themes. When the councilman is giving the speech about the people who pitch in in the community oh, and yeah. help, like, help the yeah. gardens, he, he there's a weird line about how like uh, we all hold our phones in our hands and we're all they're addicts high off the followers, right? And this idea that you can set a positive example for your community by going and volunteering at the garden. But if you're just on your phone texting all the time like your crazy grandchildren, uh, you know, you're an addict. Right. And your followers are a vice. Right. And, you know, they many of them may, in fact, be solid haters who will attempt to broad daylight assassinate you with a stun gun. I right, just like to security detail. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'd like to point out that just scaling that down 1.7 million to 10,000, given yeah. the overthinking at YouTube channels, uh, subscriber base, 15 of our subscribers are solid haters. If, <laughs> if that ratio holds, uh, for, you know, for our subscribers as well. Given the feedback we get in our Eurovision videos, I suspect that our, our high, our hater level is, Quite well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure those people are uh, subscribers. I think those I think those people just drop in to poop in our house and then leave. <laughs> I will say that that to the credit of the show, when the YouTube celebrity survives her assassination attempt, thanks to the resourcefulness and pulling backwardness of LL Cool J, uh, she does refer to the crowd as fam. 
which I felt was trendy and with it. And now uh, it felt really added a dose of currency to an episode that kind of felt like it was for old people. Uh, but sorry, I shouldn't make fun. I shouldn't make fun. I absolutely should. Old make people fun. need need uh, entertainment as well. You know, like they. No, they... That's true. They deserve to have their prejudices flattered, just like my YouTube video, my YouTube celebrities flatter my prejudices and make me feel like I don't need to change in order to live in the world. I want to set an outlook reminder for like 30, 40 years from now <laughs> to go back and watch NCIS Los Angeles and see if it's the best show I've ever watched. <laughs> because they tell you what's going on while it's happening. And I appreciate it because it's hard because my my left ear doesn't work. And I have a constant and I have a constant blue octagon blocking my right field of vision. <laughs> like, Oh, that man. shows your age, Pete. By the way, that you reference an outlook, an outlook reminder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is like people under the age of thirty, I've never heard of. Or never, that never number's a lot device. lower than I want it to be. Right. I want to tell Alexa. <laughs> I'm going to remind Alexa to uh, tell me in thirty years. Um, <laughs> And the time when Alexa is the 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 robot working in the geriatric care facility. I mean, who, Ken, Kenzie's comeback. Oh, yeah, sorry. When you think Alexa, Alexa, is that what Alexa will be working as? Alexa will be like uh, be sort of part time working after her retirement. Yeah. to more advanced robots. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they'll let her take care of the old people in the old folks homes, you know, that that uh, she won't do like really exciting robot things like starring in television shows, which only the sexy, the new young sexy robots will be able to do. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, Lemur Park is an amazing uh, neighborhood in Los Angeles with uh, a long um, history, a strong African-American community. And like the rest of L.A., it's being ruined in, by uh, rising housing prices and, and gentrification. I'm sure it's it's home to like wine bars, uh, artisanal farm to table, small plates, large prices, restaurants and, uh, you know, coffee bars where a tattooed mustachioed art school graduate will painstakingly hand pour you a, a cup of single origin, fairly traded, um, locally roasted $7 coffee. Uh, but, um, there, you know, there's a, a, kind of a poetry movement that was centered there. There's a kind of ethnic mix that, that is uh, historical, like a lot of this stuff, a lot of the, like the factoids, uh, that they give are good. Um, you know, are, uh, are true and and uh, it's it's I mean it's interesting like this and it's uh, the the uh, trees the like the planting trees I think the conversation that they have about the the um, uh, the per, the man who planted the trees in those neighborhoods who actually got out uh, he wasn't on he didn't have a cell phone because it was the forties uh, he took care of his neighborhood he planted trees and and trimmed them in in, in a particular way and that the uh, in the speech at the very beginning the um, the city councilman who is the putative target of the uh, uh, assassination attempt. Um, it refers to the new Los Angeles. This is the new Los Angeles, where we put down our phones and actually take care of each other and actually take care of our our communities. I mean, it's funny that the new Los Angeles looks like you know um, sort of boomer prejudice, right? Like like the the values that the the boomers think we've strayed um, too far too far from. Well, but then there's if this, I can jump yeah, in briefly as well. Do. I think what's going on new Los Angeles in contrast with the uh, '90s crime-ridden old Los Angeles, which again might be uh, uh, what you know, like an older audience might might think of. Sure, like when back when, well. yeah, back when the the 
uh, back when the Rodney King verdict uh, came down and the the four officers who were accused of uh, who were caught on video beating Mr. King senseless were acquitted of any wrongdoing. Um, and the the city and that part of the city uh, too was engulfed in riots right like this you know yeah that that uh this is the new los angeles this is when this is when uh Lumer park looks like a um looks like a uh, uh, looks like one of those like pedestrian mall kind of developments and yet like adheres to the old values of of 1950s Los Angeles and it's 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 uh, wall-to-wall um, it's wall-to-wall uh, African-Americans you know and that uh, um, seem somehow grateful to live in in the place that they that they do. There was a telling cut in this episode that I think says something about the racial politics of the episode. Uh, the, the councilman, African American, by the way, is volunteering, teaching boxing, uh, coaching a uh, uh, an African American girl, a young you know girl in a boxing gym, and uh, he steps out to give some information to the. Uh, uh, to the uh, federal agents, and then goes goes back in, and you see this, you know, uh, clearly powerful, athletic, talented young woman, um, boxing. You know, smash cut to the white girls in the Pilates gym. Uh, yes, in the NCIS. First time I've ever seen a Pilates performer in a television show. Yeah, actually, and actually, do like on one of those racks, like on one of those real contraptions, doing yeah. some kind of like real, uh, real Pilates move with the resistance bands or with the the slidey slidey thing, whatever whatever it is. But oh right, yeah, the performer. Yep. Like the 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 black girls in the boxing gym, the white girls in the in the Pilates gym, and uh, God's in His heaven and all's right with the world. I think this tells us something about like the, the, the racial politics of this particular NCIS episode, uh, delving into this particular neighborhood and, and into an idea of sort of black solidarity and uh, black, um, uh, respectability politics to, yeah. I mean, to it also, extent. it also ends once all, once every, once the, the values of the community, which are these values of, of, uh, of pride, and uh, of commitment to your neighborhood and to your people, right? They're really their Kwanzaa values, right? Cooperative economics, faith, right? You know, all all the stuff that that is the sort of um, the '60s and came out of the '60s and '70s into intellectualism around uh, how the black community could build a kind of new local nationalism uh, in, in their communities, you know, to support themselves in, in the sense that they weren't being supported by the largely white governments. All those values are in this episode with this sort of elder statesman of the black community being called upon to be good examples to young black people and which they do. Right. And it's it's interesting because it's uncomfortable to watch. Right. I mean, I, I'm not the only person to say that. Right. That like mm-hmm. the, the racial politics of this episode are both uncomfortable to watch and like not meant as 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 meanly as they could be interpreted, I think. Uh, or they don't. I don't. I or as they, they, yeah. Or as they come across to a sort of younger or more woke sensibility, right? Right. Like they, this. This episode is not being made to a woke sensibility, and so if you watch it with a woke sensibility, it will probably make you angry. And yeah. Go ahead, Pete. Well, I mean, and and it's tricky because I I don't think that it's my place to sort of uh, defend 
people who like the show in that respect. Um, in the sense of like, well, if if you see the role of African-American communities in Los Angeles as being to sort of keep to themselves and educate their own kids and like provide for their own families. But, uh, and, but, and, and, but also subscribe to the values of mainstream white society. Right. Yes, and, yes. and, and exemplify them almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To be, to be model minorities, basically. Yeah. If that's the goal, yeah. if the goal of the black community in Los Angeles is to be a model minority. And then like this episode probably doesn't ring any bells for you, but for people with a, a sensibility, that's a little bit, um, uh, I mean, woke is really the only word for it that, that really encompasses the, the moment. Right. Then it's a highly difficult episode to watch. Uh, okay, I mean, so, Mark. Do you, yeah, do you want yeah. I want. Yeah. I want to go into three specific scenes for those who yeah. haven't seen this episode, which I gather to be the vast majority of our overthinking yeah. podcast listenership. Uh, that I I'm think. I'm just saying, hypothetically, an episode could fall off the back of a truck, and you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can watch it for free on the CBS website. Okay, it's not like <laughs> they beam it over the sky. Look, look <laughs> okay, you're going to need to subscribe to CBS All Access at some point to watch our precious new Star Trek. So might as well do it now and watch this and the good wife spinoff uh and eventually star trek someday okay and so three training scenes. day the television show which they were advertising which sounds mm. nuts but anyway also that okay three scenes in particular yeah. one is which the two white cops are are two of the white cops i should say are going to investigate a, a crime uh, or, or a lead in, in the in this situation and they're uh, they're going to try to track down a young black man who has involved in some gang activity um his door has been broken into they're trying to figure out what happened a a a young black boy uh, comes up to them and just very freely gives information to mostly to the uh, white female female white cop um, and they're really communicating on more sort of a gendered and age uh, axes rather than a race axis right no he did not get the no snitching memo at all he's just very freely volunteering giving up information that's scene number one scene number two they track down the gang involved young black man uh, into the uh, like the community center place, which is supposed to be safe. They got his guns. They got guns drawn out. He also has a gun. Uh, this is just like blowing dog whistles all over the place here. Uh, but they talk him down, uh, and he cooperates with the police. Last and most pivotal scene, I believe, is uh, one I didn't fully read and totally understand what was going on. But my best sense is like you know the leader, the the elder black statesman of the community who uh, who runs the security firm is about to dispense vigilante justice literally on his front lawn. He's about to blow this guy's brains out uh, with his gun, and uh, everybody runs rushes in to intervene so that he doesn't actually kill the guy. All of the every, neighborhood, all of the neighborhood watching. children are inexplicably yep. there. All <laughs> the kids are watching. So all three of these scenes are uncom- uncomfortable for different reasons. So let's th- that's what it is. Let's let's start to unpack it. Where do we start? Well, we can start with the first one. The second one I felt like was that was well, maybe we start with the second one because it's the most egregious. Right. Yeah. The first one I'm willing to just kind of like pass off as like, you know, uh, just like it, it's, it reads as a cute kid scene and you can just kind of like yeah. read it that and just like if it. it's, it's an idea of like if you're a mom and you're nice to children, then children will be nice to you. And that's kind of the need, the emotional need that's being fulfilled in the scene. And it's a right. joke that the kid doesn't want to talk to Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. It, right. And it's also there's a kind of like the humor, I think, comes from the comes from a misreading of the kind of familial or kind of warmth and caretaking affection that the kid his, the kid has for the mom figure as as a sort of flirting or or you know uh yeah. cock, cock blocking uh affection right like the 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 joke is the kid doesn't know he's cock blocking chris o'donnell 
Right. <laughs> and it's fun. And that is funny, but it's also it also feels a little uncomfortable because the kid seems to have a sexual vibe for the older white woman that feels a little bit racially charged in a dog whistly way uh, that I was a little uncomfortable with. But I also might have just been reading it a lot into the situation because I felt as soon as the scene was starting and the kid was just talking freely to the police, I was like, this doesn't quite like this. This is yeah, not we, the uh, we were in. You, you're in. Look, there are things that you can do to downplay that sense of dog whist, whistliness, and there are things you can do to activate it. And we were definitely in an environment where it had been activated, right? That's like, true, that's true. yeah, it. We had been. We were primed, or uh, yeah. we were reminded constantly that a lot of these people had been involved in gangs, right? Right, and that like these kid, people might be dangerous. Um, yeah, and that juvenile, but, that like juvenile records in gangs, and and yeah. a, a sense of like. A, a sense of of black teenagers or black male children as sort of threat a, a threat, or even a sense of of black female children as like potentially uh, you know very powerful boxers, right? Like the you know right. this there's there's this sense of threat, and it's not. But but yeah. the second the second one was a bit of like anti Black Lives Matter propaganda yeah. on yep. on like on a scale that I, I can't even quite begin to contemplate. I don't know. Can you yeah. unpack it a little bit? Sure. So Chris O'Donnell is holding a teenage black man at gunpoint. And the black man has a gun and is holding it down by his side. Young guy, the man reason- of, of majority age, but more or less a kid. Yeah. You know. But the, and so this kid, this kid, the reason the kid has a gun makes total sense. The kid has a gun because international money launderers <laughs> are trying to kill him. Not, I, not quite ISIS, but really ISIS. Yeah, yeah. He, well, it might not be ISIS. It might be Assad. Like, we right. don't know what side of the Syrian civil war they're on. It, <laughs> it is It is also notable that they don't specify what side of the Syrian civil war they are on, which I feel like is one of the big problems with the popular understanding of the Syrian civil war, which is that Americans don't think of it as having size. They just think of it as being a place that has problems, right? Um but but the 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 point is like oh no they don't they're, it's just bad it's just bad these are bad people from a bad place that you've heard about on the news and are scared of but but this kid was just chased from his home by people trying to murder him and that's why he has a gun and he doesn't know who Chris O'Donnell is Chris O'Donnell is not in uniform as a police officer he's in plain clothes he entered into a building without a warrant right with a with a woman who's also in plain clothes and who has a foreign accent right. They have and they, they don't I mean, and all that he has is really his word to think that he really is a cop. He's also from the Navy, right? Which is like I'm from the you know, he doesn't say it, but but the explanation for who Chris O'Donnell is and why he's there is tenuous at best. Yeah, they're right? they're like, I mean, in interesting little factoid, they're not uh service members. They're civilians. And right. uh, they're they are federal law enforcement agents. But not, uh, and they're attached to the Navy. But their remit is actually to protect the the Navy and the Marines. Um, okay. And they're not uh, uh, naval. They're not sailors or officers in the Navy. Right. So Chris O'Donnell points a gun at the kid and tells the kid not to raise the gun, which is, I think, a bad sentence to utter. Right? Don't raise your gun. Don't you don't want to be misunderstood. Uh, and, the, and it's it's not even implied. He's saying, like, if you lift that gun up, I'm going to have to shoot you. And the kid said, you put your gun down first. Right. The kid is offering a, a sense of like, I don't feel safe. I would feel safer if you put the gun down first because people are trying to kill me. And then Chris O'Donnell says, I can't do that. 
And well, we are supposed to understand and appreciate. Of course, he can't do that. He's a police officer and he's following procedures. He's following the right procedures and protocols in the situation. He can't put his gun down. He has to keep his gun on the kid. And if the kid lifts the gun up, it's his own fault if he gets shot. Right. And then and then the kid eventually does trust Chris O'Donnell and put the gun down. Kid's wearing a loose gray sweatshirt, not a hoodie. That would have been even too much on the nose. But actually, no, it's even more on the nose because he's not wearing a hoodie because he's a good kid, right? And, and that's also – there's a lot – I would venture to say that the scene was, like, pretty rough. I would even say that it was, like, outright bad, right, uh, in, in, in certain ways. Um, and the kid, like, collapses and cries and tells Chris O'Donnell that everything that's happened up until this point is his fault, Right? That it's all my fault. Yeah. I did it. It was because I was involved in gangs that every that all these people have been killed. And it's like, you're right, but it's OK because you trusted the cops. Right. And it's just I mean, it's just it's it is not grounded. Well, first of all, it's not sensitive to the it's it's sensitive to the moments, obviously, because it's about the moments. But it's it's sensitive to the moments in a way that I feel is, is not nice or appropriate. Well, yeah, it's sensitive. Yeah. I mean, you want a better word than sensitive. It's attuned to the moment. Yes, it but, would be worse if it were totally ignorant, but it's not totally ignorant. It would be better if it were totally ignorant, <laughs> but it's not totally ignorant. Right. It's attuned to the moment, and it makes a choice, and it makes a choice that it should have to live with the consequences of, right? Which right. Is, I mean, to, to Matt's point earlier, right, it, ha- it, it feels this obligation to be in dialogue with various neighborhoods and communities of Los Angeles, and that's going to include Los Angeles's large African-American community, right? right? And this, and, and just, this is yeah. how the, it chose to manifest itself. Yeah, and, and I would say that it is not – I don't feel – I mean, obviously, I'm not – I was never a teenage black kid. But I feel like this scene is not grounded at all in the day-to-day experience of teenage black kids and what it's like to be – especially in Los Angeles – to be around police officers, right? Or to be held at gunpoint, a child held at gunpoint, right? I feel like it doesn't honor that reality. And is instead primarily interested in making a comment about restoring the rightful sense of justice in the wake of all the confusion caused by the Trayvon Martin situation. Right. Like that thing that's out there that's scary. Right. That is I don't quite understand with like Eric Garner and Trayvon. There's all these names of these people and these things have happened to them. And people are mad at the police and they're and they're and they're burning things and they're terrible and they're not acting nice and they need to be nice to the police. And and that's the level on which this is operating. Right. And and I find that offensive. You know, I, I do. And I know that you may not, you know, and everybody has their own politics and everybody has their own perspective. But I find that the, the 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 degree of engagement that NCIS Los Angeles is making with the current situation, uh, while while also deli- like the degree of the, the unsophistication of the understanding of the situation that it's willing to entertain. Uh, it bends in a way that I think really, really is hurtful, and I, and I don't like it, and I right, don't be, approve of it. Because it's an argument, ultimately, for separate but equal, right? It's, a, yeah. it's an argument for sort of restoring the right, the, restoring the proper balance of obedience to the white law, right? And, and in, in this, and, in the, and we should kind of go before we, before we conclude, we should not do, we should not leave off without uh, addressing the third scene that Mark brought up, which is, um, I, I think the scene where this sets it up, because to, to a certain extent, LL Cool J is kind of a fig leaf for this, yeah. uh, for this kind of retrograde racial politics, um, because he 
is the one sort of aligned with uh, the white law, the white uh, federal agents that, you know, um, and by the way, they're the only white people in the party at the end. And they're all sitting, you know, like a like a high school lunchroom. They're all sitting yeah. at a at a table by themselves, like talking about the exoticism of the food. Don't you they're... love the jerk chicken? Yeah, exactly. It's not too spicy. caliente oh sorry wrong wrong neighborhood um the the um the uh the last scene is about kind of maintaining uh sort of maintaining dignity or sort of maintaining model minority status not uh giving into your human impulses right this guy killed my friend and i want revenge um but uh, which is and and by the way, that's that is a sort of universal story. This guy killed my friend. I want revenge. I need to take the high road. But the way it's framed, right? Uh, a couple things. A couple things happen. One is that when uh, when um, Cool James goes undercover at the. Uh, the private security firm, he and the head of the firm have a conversation about being role models for the community, about giving back, about donating, you know, philanthropy, volunteering. Um, He runs across a high school student and it's clear that this high school student has been promised a prize if he gets uh, straight A's and he's working on his chemistry exam and, you know, um, this this sort of thing. And so this discourse is, is brought into it. You have to be a role model. You have to be you you have to um uh not not because it's better not because it's morally right to uh overcome your desire for revenge and uh you know not kill this guy and just sort of do the better the better thing at a large scale but because you're a role model um you you have to do this and then it also it kind of comes back to this uh it comes back to this um conversation that uh that i think was had earlier uh well actually it may have been in an earlier draft of the script and got cut out because uh uh cool j says be that light be that beacon uh, be a, a source of hope uh and a shining example he's saying um for all the kids and the the sort of the neighbors and whatnot who gather around who just inexplicably like midday on my street there aren't like dozens and dozens of neighbors to to gather around because the kids are at school and the grown-ups are at work right but but apparently in this neighborhood there the, for purposes of fable right uh huge crowds of symbolic young black children can be summoned at will uh by the power of narrative um in order to to make this point now i i think that like this relates to kind of making it shine um this relates to sort of being uh you know to to images of light and by the way like there there is like cinematographically um the the scenes have very different looks with respect to light where light is coming from um the scene at the end with kenzie is uh shot mostly in in darkness or in shadow um you know with with uh uh 
uh, some lamps and stuff like that, but it's very murky and things like this. And this, and and uh, tellingly, this scene with the uh, uh, this scene with the head of the private security firm um, happens in broad daylight on uh, on like the front lawn of a uh, of a house in this um, in this neighborhood. And and I so I think this like being a beacon, being a light, must be a. Uh, uh, must be a callback to something that was in a, in an earlier earlier draft of the script, but because it 's framed in this particular way um, it's it 's very clearly not a universal story it 's a story about um, uh, you know, it's a story about, I, honestly, it's a story about whether the black community is good enough to survive under white law, right? Like whether you will sort of hand this guy over to hand the Syrian, let, let, let the, let the federal agents take care of the Syrian for you. Um, and don't, uh, don't try to take the law in your own hands. Don't have ideas about justice that are at variance with the, uh, the hegemonic discourse drink. Don't, um, you know, uh, uh, don't deviate, um, frankly, from the the values of the the mainstream majority society uh, at all, which must be a, a comforting, um, comforting thing if you're in your 60s and and uh, and you know remember America when it was once great, but is is troubling from a from a, a more woke point, or at least a more not even a woke because I feel like that's become a pejorative term at this point, but it it's troubling from a um, from a sensibility that is more tolerant of fundamental difference. Uh, even despite all the problems that it brings in the you know pluralistic polity, I mean, I'm I'm thinking back again to our conversation about this being a procedural, right? And um, you have procedure that flows from precedent, from uh, you know a, a sense of like this is how things are, right? And so like you, I don't know, I'm having a tough time imagining an NCASLA that like you know, it kind of shatters up the, the uh, really, really breaks, breaks up the notion of procedure well, yeah, of like business you, as usual that like, you know, the problematizes all these police actions and like uh, gets its hands dirty in this. And then, at that point, then it's becoming the wire. Right. And yeah. I believe I have not seen the wire, but ah! I believe there is a, I believe there's a sharing from that show, which is appropriate here, which is, uh, what is it? Uh, you want it to be one way, but it is, uh, it is not that way. I feel like there's a large area between NCIS Los Angeles and The Wire. Right. I, I, I feel like you're not just one or the other. The sex, the, all the sex crime shows, by the way, exist yeah. in that large gray area. And without <laughs> without bringing up uh, my favorite quadruped, um, right? This is a show without a donkey effing conundrum yeah. because it, the the. Um, it doesn't entertain a kind of simultaneously. Um, uh, hated and longed for uh, sort of sexual license. It it is talking about a, a very threatening um, sort of uh, fundamental disorder. Uh, whereas whereas I, f- I feel like you're 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 at, supposed to at least identify with the, with the criminals at least on a uh, on a sex crime show and not not here. Um, I, I particularly yeah. to show how chaste the show is. I want to point out my favorite little metaphor in the show which is uh chris o'donnell and uh the european girlfriend cop are talking about taking a trip 
to Carlsbad, California, right? They're going to go to Carlsbad over the weekend. Now, I, I had to look this up because I wasn't sure. Because, I, I mean, when I say Carlsbad, I mean, Matt, you know where that is, presumably, because you know everything about Southern California. But, Mark, when I say Carlsbad, what do you think? Um, there's a brand of beer. But I know where we're going beer? with this. Um, but uh, uh, Carlsbad, something like the Canyons or something like that? Caverns. Cavern. Carlsbad Cavern. Now, the Carlsbad Cavern is not in Carlsbad, California. Carlsbad Cavern is in New Mexico. But if you tell me oh, we're going to take a trip to Carlsbad, yeah. that seems to me like a euphemism of we're going to visit your cavern. Right. Yeah, you don't weekend. think of a you don't think of like a little beachside town uh, close to San Diego, close to like Encinitas and and uh, La Jolla. You think of um, you think of caves, dark, right. dark, d- dark caves to penetrate into the inner recesses of. Yes, like Chris O'Donnell might. And so, but but it's funny because then the, the, batless, the, the strangely batless caves, <laughs> strangely bat, the strangely batless caves of Chris O'Donnell. Uh, but but instead, she says, no, she wants to go to Legoland, right? That there's a Legoland in Carlsbad that she wants to go to. And it's interesting to think, well, first of all, it's building a barrier. A Leg- Legos is building walls and barriers. Legos are toys for children, right? Uh, procreation as opposed to sexual enjoyment, right? Legos are their chaste, right? And they're building something. The idea of relationship versus casual sex. I feel like I want to go to Carl. I want to go to the Legoland Carlsbad and not the Carlsbad Cavern is like a hugely loaded sexual metaphor or symbol even because oh, it has oh. multiple different tenors. Even- I should add, if you're not familiar with what a Legoland is, by the way, it is very much targeted to children under the age of 10. Like it is, <laughs> it is inconceivable that a fully grown adult would want to go there. Without children, um, what what are the two pastries that she brings him in the in the oddly chased breakfast scenes? Oh, I, I wrote this. I wrote this down. Uh, I wrote down, I wrote down my notes. I didn't know if you liked bagels, but I was committed to the carb genre. So she gets him donuts and cro- and croissants. Uh-huh. I believe. Well, the croissants are the afterthought. Yeah, right. So, so that's like saying we can do it in the front and in the back. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. That's just another of the strange sexual repression, sexually repressed thoughts of uh, of NCIS Los Angeles guys. It might be time uh, to uh, close the book on this investigation. Are you sure? Because every moment the kids are listening to this podcast, they're not out on the streets right <laughs> <laughs> be that light matt be that beacon be that beacon um yeah you know uh the the film bullworth which given given the the incoming administration is a, is a film that I think would not be the worst thing for us all to rewatch uh ends with the um the poet Amiri Baraka, who plays a role in that film, uh, saying, Bullworth, you've got to be a spirit. You can't be a ghost. And that, I think, that scene right there is perhaps more, more food for your soul than, uh, than the entire episode of NCIS Los Angeles. But, but, uh, for all its, for all its flaws as a, as a piece of, um, law and order propaganda, Right. As a, uh, uh, for all its flaws, as uh, as a piece of make America great again porn, uh, 
um, NCIS is still superior as drama to most of the things that were nominated for Golden <laughs> Globes tonight. That is, that, is, that is a take that is heated up in the microwave, Matt. That is the, like, it is momentarily hot, but it will cool rapidly. <laughs> don't, burn, don't burn your fingers or your tongue on that, uh, on that toasty hot take. So whether you rather eat uh, bagels or donuts or croissants... Uh, <laughs> European, so exotic. Yeah. Oh man, that pano chocolate with that filling. Um, uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever you like to to wrap your tongue around. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. You know, guys, that podcast was like dynamite tied to a bottle of rum. Low tech, but highly effective. <laughs> I I just thought, was that like, I that stuck out for me as well. And I thought like, was that like floating opposites? Was that supposed to be a moment of like Sorkin-esque writing uh, there? Was, I mean, did some, you know, did some person in the writer's room just swell with pride coming up with that line uh, with the low, with the floating opposites, low tech, but highly effective, like, because it's bad, it's bad writing. Yeah. But it's LL Cool J saying it. Which makes it good, right? He gave great face in this. Like there yeah. were some close-ups of LL Cool J just emoting, and uh, you know, and it's like, hey, you know what? That guy, like, say what you will about the merits of the Stanislavski system and psychologically realistic acting. Sometimes all you want to do is look at LL Cool J's face. What can we say? Ladies love him. Cool James. <laughs>